0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about exchange traded funds versus managed funds to help you understand how do ETFs work and which is the right investment vehicle for you. So ETFs, exchange traded funds have gained significant popularity over the last eight years or so. So back in 2015, Australians had around $20 billion invested in ETFs and that surged to over $150 $150 billion. So there's a substantial amount of money being you in ETFs, and there's some good reason for this 27% compounding growth rate. So let's start off talking about what is an ETF. So essentially, an ETF is a managed investment vehicle that is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Uh, normally, these ETFs hold a basket of shares that tend to make up a particular index, so they track an index. So, for example, an ETF like A200 or IOZ tracks the ASX200 index. So those ETFs will buy the top 200 stocks in proportion to their value compared to the overall value of the index. So if BHP's value is equal to 10% of the total index, which it is around about at the moment, then 10% of your money goes into BHP. 8% 8% goes into CBA, 6% goes into CSL, and so on and so forth until you own the top 200 stocks. This structure provides investors with a really straightforward and cost-effective way to diversify portfolios across various sectors, asset classes, and geographical markets, depending on the type of ETF. To invest in an ETF, you need an account with a online share broker, or any share broker really, but online tends to be the most efficient way of doing it. And so most people will opt to use people like Comsec or CMC Markets, those sorts of things, those sort of brokers as a cost-effective way of buying these ETFs. There are two costs, two fees associated with buying an ETF. The first one is the brokerage fee. So that's obviously the fee that you pay to your share broker, whether it's online or a phone type broker arrangement. So for example, if your trade's less than $11,000, CMC will charge you a flat $11 fee. So pretty cost effective. The second fee is the fee that you will pay to the ETF provider for managing the investment. And those fees can be as low as 0.03 of a percent to around about 1%. Although there are some actively managed ETFs in Australia that charge 2 or 3% per annum, you know, I'd probably steer well clear of them. As a typical range, if you're investing in developed markets, so global, US, Europe, Japan, etc., or Australian market, you're going to pay somewhere between 02 to 0.4%. That would be a reasonable range to expect in terms of fees. Emerging markets are more expensive investments to run, you're going to probably pay somewhere between 0.67 of a percent to even up to 1% per annum, which again is fine because typically you wouldn't be investing a huge amount of your portfolio. Probably less than 10% in emerging markets. So, for example, if you went to invest $10,000 in the S&P 500 index, which the code for that ETF is IVV you would incur an $11 brokerage fee and then $3 per annum to manage that investment. So it is an incredibly economical way to invest in share markets in a very diversified manner. So next, I wanted to talk about how ETFs operate because I think once you understand how they operate, it helps you sort of understand the risk associated with a particular investment. So in order to understand how they operate, we should um, talk about who are the participants? Like what what businesses are involved in managing an ETF? So the first one is the issuer and administrator, fund administrator. So that includes the likes of people like BetaShares, uh, which is an Australian business, iShares, which is uh, run by BlackRock, which is the largest fund manager in the world, Vanguard. They tend to be the largest ETF providers in Australia. And they administer the ETF, including tracking the underlying index, managing the expenses and making sure the ETF operates how it's supposed to operate. Of course, it charges the ETF a fee, which is the fee that I just spoke about in terms of management. The next party is what's called the market maker. So every ETF has a market maker and they're responsible for ensuring there's enough liquidity within the market to ensure that buyers can buy and sellers can sell which is really uh, important because you want a, a liquid investment and you want to make sure that the share price is tracking the net tangible asset value so the share price is the true reflection of the un- the value of the underlying investment being the index and so forth so if the market was to really crash um I was going to use a different term there but if it was to if it was to die you want to make sure that even if there's no no one wanting to buy in that market, there's still a way in order to sell your investment and the market maker would facilitate that. The next, and they tend to be large institutions and so forth that that help bring ETFs to life and the market maker will initially make the initial investment before the investment is listed and if an ETF is really, really popular, the market maker will then put more money into that ETF and issue more shares. So again, it creates uh, enough liquidity in the market uh, to deal with any demands, uh, either from buyers or sellers. The next party is the custodian. And this is a really important thing that the assets of the ETF are held separately from the issuer and administrator, reducing your fund manager or counterparty risk. So if BlackRock was to go bust or Vanguard or whoever, your money is safe. It's with the custodian it's not held by the issuer. And then there's the registry, like every listed share, uh, you will have a share registry that will manage the process of you know, who owns the shares, who gets the dividends, all those sorts of things. And in the link on the blog on the website, I've got a link to the ASX website, which gives you a, a complete list of all the ETFs in Australia, and that list is updated when uh, new ETFs are listed on the exchange. So let's talk about ETFs versus managed funds, because anyone that's been investing for a while would be probably familiar with a traditional managed investment. Uh, So how do ETFs differ? Uh, So typically ETFs are more cost effective than managed funds because the process to uh, record trades in a particular ETF are done electronically. Whereas with managed funds, uh, because they're unlisted investments, what the fund manager must do is they must add up all the sellers and all the buyers on a particular day, net them off, and then trade the difference. So if there's more sellers than buyers, they're going to have to sell investments. If there's more buyers than sellers, then they have to place investments to increase the you know, the, the funds under management. So that can be a more costly and time-consuming process, whereas if an ETF is traded on an exchange, no investments have to be bought and sold. That's the job of the market maker to, to facilitate the, to, to ensure that there's enough shares available. And so when you look at, for example, Vanguard's Emerging Market Index Fund, its managed fund charges 0.56 of a percent, whereas exact same ETF version is 0.48 of a percent, showing you that the underlying cost to run that investment is cheaper because it's listed, and you don't need to uh, deal with the administration. Also, the bid-ask spreads, uh, which is the difference between what you can buy at and what you can sell at, tend to be a lot narrower for ETFs. Again, make it more cost-effective to place in investment and to divest of that investment eventually at some point as well. And I think a really important point is the liquidity risk and performance of ETFs has been proven over time. So I guess 10 years ago, I was a little bit sceptical or how would ETFs behave in a very volatile market? Uh, You know, what what happens if, uh, you know, it goes through a bit of turmoil? How do they sort of play out? Uh, well we've seen uh, pretty a lot of volatility over the last ten years, particularly in markets and even extend that to the last fifteen years, including the Gfc and ETFs have performed really well now that's good quality ETFs you know the fundamentally sound ones have performed very well, traded very close to net tangible assets, always had liquidity and so forth. So from a, a investment risk perspective, ETFs have been around long enough now to I think have proven their worth. So how do you go about picking which ETFs you should use? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is consider your own investment philosophy. If you have a clear investment philosophy yourself, it will really help you steer clear of the investments that don't align to that philosophy and therefore look like a bit of a mistake. So if you favour a high-quality evidence-based approach towards investing, and you probably do because you're listening to this podcast and that's all I really talk about, then you would probably steer clear of sort of thematic uh, ETFs, which sort of invest in specific trends and and themes. And it's kind of akin to active investing. Instead, I would say stick to the sort of mainstream indexes, like tracking the ASX 200 index or S&P 500 index or other global indexes in developed markets. And even better than that, consider using a diversified ETF. Diversified ETFs are marketed by BetaShares, iShares and Vanguard, you know, the three biggest ETF fund managers. And essentially, they give you access to various sub-asset classes, including Australian shares, global shares, uh, bonds, uh, emerging markets, smaller companies, those sorts of things in one ETF. And the manager manages the asset allocation, so how much to allocate to each of those sub-asset classes. Uh, So you don't need to worry about it. So with one trade, you can get access to a broad spectrum of asset classes in a really cost-effective manner. And you don't need, there's no decision around, you know, should it be Australian shares or international shares or anything like that. There is a link in the blog on the website that takes you to a listing of all the diversified ETFs that are available in Australia, so you can certainly check that out. So in summary, whilst managed funds are unlikely to disappear because for a managed fund to be successful as an ETF, it needs to attract a lot of money, and not not all managed funds are going to do that, which is fine. You're going to have some providers of managed funds that are going to provide investments to niche areas that aren't, aren't going to appeal to ETF providers. So at this stage, you know you really do need a combination of both managed funds and ETFs in order to build a really good portfolio. I would say around about half our clients' investments are invested through traditional managed funds and the other half using ETFs. Although there is a particular ETF provider that we utilize a lot, and they will soon apparently launch an ETF version of their products. So that could actually increase to maybe 70% under ETF and 30% in managed funds. I guess the point is, as a retail investor, you can do really well just by using uh, ETFs only. But if you have a considerable portfolio, only using ETFs can reduce your investment menu to the point that you don't adequately manage. The, risk, the underlying risk in your portfolio, nor expose the portfolio to better than average returns. So you really do need a combination of ETFs and managed funds. However, ETFs are a very cost effective and safe way to invest. And if you're not investing a lot of funds, uh, certainly they would suit most people. And a really good use of ETFs, for example, um, and I get asked the question a lot, you know, my my child has some savings that uh, it's just sitting in the bank account, but can we do something else with it? Particularly if they're really young and you, your investment horizon is 10 plus years, well, investing that in a diversified ETF for that child uh, is likely to be quite beneficial for them. And most importantly, very cost-effective way of exposing them to uh, better returns over the next 10 plus years. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you do enjoy it, please, I would encourage you to share it among family, friends or colleagues that you think would also get some value from the podcast. And please leave a rating for wherever you listen as well. Uh, The more ratings, the more popular it becomes and the more you help me spread the word. So thanks very much for that. Until next week, bye for now.